Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. A big welcome to our guest, Deb Crow. Now, Deb is a certified professional life and leadership coach. Deb is from Canada. And Deb helps entrepreneurs, leaders, and executives to achieve heart-centered leadership. And that's going to be the big focus of our discussion today. Now, Deb has years of experience, and Deb started her entrepreneurial journey at just 24 years of age. So young in there, Deb, starting off on your entrepreneurial journey. And Deb's going to be sharing her experience and insights on why heart-centered leadership matters and the difference it can make to business success. And I'm sure we're also going to be touching on Deb's exciting news. She's got some exciting news to share with us today about her forthcoming book launch, which is called, the book is called The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook and How to Master the Art of Heart. So big welcome to you, Deb. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to join you and Callum. Thank you. Yeah, big thanks for joining the, the podcast. We're looking forward to having a conversation with you today and sort of hearing uh, hearing all of your thoughts on, on leadership and all things sort of uh, heart centricity. So I guess uh, to, to jump into things, that's kind of the, the main topic, which I would love to just jump straight into, um, you know, from having a look through your LinkedIn profile and your website and kind of, you know, all the things you're about is very much focused on kind of heart centered leadership. So I'd love to hand over to you and if you could give us kind of your thoughts and an overview uh, into that, please. Absolutely. It's my favorite thing to talk about. So my, my definition of heart-centered leadership is honoring your connection with people. And I get asked often, what do you mean by that? When we honor our connection, much like we're doing right here today on this podcast, we're, we're honoring each other's time, we're honoring each other's knowledge, we're honoring and sharing wisdom, and there's nothing, there's no other agenda or what I like to say, there's no version or anticipation of reciprocity. We're just here in the present moment, enjoying a conversation and hoping it puts a beautiful little ripple effect out in the world. The larger version or definition of heart-centered leadership has been in my heart since I started my company at age 24. And it's when you can look at leadership in a different lens or at a different vantage point. And we could talk a lot about traditional leadership, but I think we're all educated and informed on that. The Coles notes of heart-centered leadership is people come first. And when you honor that connection with people, you often hear the cliche of people over profit. When you look after your people, the profit will come. So in a nutshell, Callum, that's kind of my high-end overview of what heart-centered leadership is. Thanks, Devin. I guess what would be really interesting is, is how do you sort of see that approach to things kind of actually like manifesting itself when you're working with team or a leader in like a corporate environment or a company what sort of how does that actually kind of manifest itself 
it comes from the top. A lot of people think this is a, a bottom up thing that needs to happen. It's actually not. It has to come from the executive leadership team and more importantly, the C-suite leaders. So when the C-suite leaders can model heart-centered leadership, honoring their connection. So for example, when a CEO is picking his executive team, he or she is going to pick people who have different skill sets than them, skills that they may not have honed or learned or mastered, and they surround themselves and embrace themselves in this circle, if you will. And the CEO is the visionary. The CEO is the one who's looking out three, five, seven, ten 10 years out. And then the COO is the ops person looking after anything to do with operations logistics. So when the COO can execute the vision from the CEO, that's when the magic happens. And when they do that with heart-centered leadership and honor all people involved, so if we look at company at large, it definitely sets the foundation for a healthy, vital culture and people continue to grow and evolve and learn. And when the high-end leaders, the C-suite, the executive team, et cetera, when they model that behavior, Callum, who wouldn't want to look up to somebody like that? And they're modeling that even though they're at the top, they're still learning and growing and evolving. You don't get to a stature in a company and stop learning. That's really when I think the learning starts. And when I've interviewed you know, leaders on my podcast, we talk about that imperfection and how you have to stay anchored in that imperfection so that you can still grow. And when the company at large can see that the leaders are still growing and evolving, I think that's the best teachable and learning moment that an executive can do within a culture. And it also gives that level of rate relatability, but it lets go of stature and title because people get people get stuck in the in their habits of thinking when they get stuck in the extrinsic part of it. Just stay intrinsic with the people. And when you stay with the people and you stay heart-centered, that's where relatability just unfolds. And it's almost like on a, a rinse and repeat mode, if you will. Got it. Yeah. And so it sounds like, I guess, from your perspective, the sort of gold standard that companies should be aiming for is, you know, empowering their people to be the best, leading, you know, being empathetic, being emotionally intelligent and basically enabling their team to, to become the best to deliver on, on that vision. Now, I feel like that's probably not always the situation in companies, but, you know, one that companies are generally striving for. So I'd be really curious to hear from, from your side. How do you think people can kind of actually get to that point? Because obviously when you have your kind of day-to-day -day responsibilities, it's not always the easiest thing to, you know, be leading with a heart-centered approach. I think Brene Brown set the foundation when she wrote Dare to Lead. If everybody followed the same path, we wouldn't have any, any new innovation. We wouldn't have any new invention. So I think leaders, when they tend to forge forward and go and lead with their heart and their head aligned, sometimes that can be a lonely journey because you're leaning in with empathy, authenticity, relatability, vulnerability, and not everyone's comfortable doing that. And I think the way that we really get out of that mindset, and it's kind of one of my favorite lines to say is, our life shows up in our work and our work shows up in our life. And when we can lead and share and show our people who we are in all aspects of our life, I think it takes away from some of the assumptions that people make 
because we have to show when we fall. We have to show when we fail. We have to admit when we're not right. And more importantly, in leadership, it's okay to say that you don't know. We're not meant to know everything. We're not Google. We're not an algorithm. We're a human being. And I think that's where heart-centered leadership is going to make its biggest imprint is the leaders that are really showing this in their behavior and in their leadership. And in, in line with that, I saw on, on your website, there was uh, a, a study, an example you had where one of your customers went through that process to, from, you know, becoming a COO to a CEO, you know, a very large sort of enterprise scale media business. Um, I wondered if you could maybe either sort of tell us a bit of a story about that one in particular or another example that you could share with us. And I know our audience, you know, really interested in particular kind of anecdotes and, and stories. It's very rare that again, from my perspective, that a COO will transition to a CEO. But it goes back to what I said before. When that CEO is a vivid visionary, thinking ahead three to 10 years, which most are, part of their intent is to think about their own exit strategy. So the story that you're referring to, this CEO realized and saw in the COO and he approached him and he said, I'm thinking of retiring in three to five years. I really think you have what it takes to be the CEO. What do you think about that? And they went back and forth and had several conversations. And I remember the COO saying to me, do you think I can do this? And it was such a pivotal moment. And I said, do you think you can do this? And he said, I do. And I said, that level of belief is what's going to take you to leadership and beyond. When we can have that belief and allow no self-doubt, we have to allow for things that are going to kind of ebb and flow. So they took three years. The CEO taught the COO everything good, bad, and indifferent, tried to prepare him for failure, learning moments, how to be vulnerable, how to be transparent, how to say, I don't know, what do you think? It was one of the smoothest transitions I ever saw, and that company is continuing to grow and expand all the way through COVID. They didn't have any turnover in staff. It's one of the most vital, healthy cultures that I've ever witnessed and got to work with. And I would love to see more of that. And I'm thinking, you know, the model that I'm instilling out there, you know, across the globe with leaders, I think it's making a ripple effect. And I think a lot of it has to do, Callum, with leaders having their own self-acceptance. That's... A just quite incredible to hear I, it's fantastic to hear this is happening and that ripple effect is is happening then i'd really be interested to understand how this came about for you how you came to understand appreciate and focus on heart-centered leadership i'm wondering if you had an experience that wasn't heart-centered from a leadership perspective that shifted your focus to this It'd be interesting to hear your story on that I do. And it's interesting to, to just go back there to that moment when you ask. Um, I was in university. I was in my second year of university and my dad was very, very ill. 
and I had to drop out of school, which I was very sad to be my dad's caregiver. Little did I know from the day I dropped out of school till the day my dad passed away was one year to the day. And Callum, you asked and, and talked about emotional intelligence. I had no time to learn it. I just had to execute it at that age. And to me, I think being done high school and doing post-secondary really is our formidable years. So here I was with a disabled mother and my dad was gone and there was no other support. So it was stand up and take the tools you have. And little did I know I was really executing emotional resilience because I had already built the emotional intelligence a lot from my Irish Nana that I speak about. But from age 21, so when I lost my dad, I thought, well, I have to go to work because I had to support myself. And I thought, I'm going to go work for like a temporary agency so that I could be put in different positions in different sectors because I'm a thinker, I'm a deep thinker, I'm an introvert, and I, I'm a big observer. And I can learn a lot in a short period of time by watching and listening. And I had four bosses, Rebecca, that really demonstrated to me non-heart-centered leadership. It didn't matter what I did, how I did it. I did everything my dad told me to do. I, I showed up early for work. I was always professionally dressed. I took my lunch time. I wasn't a clock watcher. I didn't run out the door at five. I kept my desk very organized. I was also a team player. A few of the ladies that I worked with weren't able to go up and down the stairs to pick up files and things. And they would ask me and I would just do things. And I wouldn't ask why, or I wouldn't say things like it's not in my job or I just did them. Good I was a good worker yeah. and it was uh, 2018 actually. I was a keynote speaker at International Women's Day event here in Canada. And the woman who spoke before me had done a white paper on tall poppy syndrome. And as I'm listening to her speak before I'm getting up to speak, I could feel tears streaming down my face. And tall poppy syndrome is when you're a worker, like I explained, but somebody always finds something to cut you down about, cutting you down verbally or talking about you or just all those not nice human behaviors. And as I'm listening to the speaker, I was like, that was me from 21 to 24. So the saving grace was the last company I was at, the vice president had asked me out for lunch and I was very apprehensive to go, but I decided to go and we ordered our lunch and he looked at me across from the table and he said, I need you to look at me and I need you to listen. And he said, you're losing your job at five o'clock. So I immediately started to cry. I'm 24 years old. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe it. And he said, I want you to know it has nothing to do with you. And he said, you are such a leader. And he said, you have a boss that's not wanting to foster it. And he said, the best thing you could do for the world is to go out and start your own company. So I did. A month later, I registered my business. And I think my dad intervened with some goodness from above. And my first client was the Australian Department of Defense. 
I was headhunted. I went up against six, six men for the job and we were handed a, a sheet of software and I knew all of the software applications except one. And I remember my dad saying to me, even if you don't know it, you're such a quick learner, say that you have a working knowledge because you never know when it'll help you get your foot in the door. And I thought, I'll get the software if I get the job and I'll learn it. And then when I show up, I'll know it. So I just went in with that belief again that I just was talking about to Callum. And I said to the Colonel, I know all of the software proficiently on this sheet, but the last one, I have a little bit of a working knowledge. I'm not completely familiar, but I can be ready if I'm, if I'm offered the position. That sentence landed me that job. And he told me that after. Oh, how fantastic. Because you were very honest about that. That's mm -hmm. Was the reason for it? I was honest. I was heart-centered. I told them how much I loved working with people. All the heart-centered traits that I put out there in, in all of my writings and things that I do, I try to honor that because you become heart-centered by not talking about these qualities, but behaving these qualities. Mm -hmm. So as a company, you can say that you're heart-centered and it can be in your values or your mission statement or your constitution, but if you're not behaving your brand, then it's words, it's not deeds. Yes, absolutely. And I think one of the things that we need to remember is that when you're the CEO or you're a senior executive in a business, the team is observing you intently. And the minute you step away from your values, you don't behave in line with your values, it's clocked absolutely. and it's discussed. Yeah. And then your reputation and the fact that you say you live up to your values, that all goes out of the window because you've not behaved in accordance with them. You know, and it leaves a beautiful gateway for imperfection. And when leaders can be heart-centered and share their imperfection, demonstrate their imperfection, I would rather have more laughter around a boardroom table than the observation that you just spoke about. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it is crucial, isn't it, that we as leaders, I'm really encouraged that if we get it wrong, it's absolutely okay, because that's why we've got the team to work collaboratively to sort it out. Mm -hmm. I think business acumen has left uh, a stringent footprint on perfection. Yeah. And I see it daily, and I know you do as well. It's the imperfection that allows us to connect as global citizens regardless of where we live what we do what sector we work in we're all in the people business the yeah. sector doesn't really matter and you know people are talking about artificial intelligence and everything else i've never met a robot to date that had you know an outgoing gregarious personality we're still going to need people to do business and the more you can let people in and demonstrate your imperfection while maintaining being heart-centered, to me, that's the gateway to good leadership. So let's take a pick up on those two points, imperfection and kind of sharing your, your vulnerability and being heart-centered. Where, What practical tips would you give to a listener, a leader listening to this today and thinking, oh, there's something in this, I'd like to know more. What three steps could they take and perhaps implement tomorrow in their business to be more heart-centered? 
I think the first thing you need to do is do a self-audit, whether that's journaling for you, whether it's going for a run, you have to know what your own strengths and weaknesses are. And once you determine that baseline, then you know what you can work on. So self-audit would be number one. Number two would be to have an action plan with some goals. And the third one would be to pick one and work on that and hone it till you feel you're doing it well and then gain some feedback from family, friends, coworkers, because the more vulnerable we can be, people that are introverted are often promoted and it's called accidental leadership. And I know when I have my first call with them, they'll say to me things like, I don't want to lead. I want to go back to my lab or to my numbers or to whatever it is. And when I can provide that validation to say your manager or your leader sees something in you that you have yet to discover, it changes the whole dynamics of the conversation. So that's why that belief thing, again, it keeps coming up on repeat because it's so foundational. So self-audit, whatever that looks like for you, from the self-audit, picking one thing, making it an actionable goal, practice it, hone it, and then get some solid feedback to see how you're doing. And that's that's how we become heart-centered, sustain being heart-centered. We have to ask for feedback and we're not going to be perfect every day. So allowing yourself to immerse in your own imperfection, when we can have a laugh at ourselves, <laughs> I think that just makes everybody else around us even more open to say, that's pretty fun. That's pretty cool. She can laugh at herself. She made a mistake. It's the belief thing again, Rebecca. It's uh, it's a really great point because you know, when we just say, I don't know, you know, I, I've always experienced that the team just open up and want to help you. Yeah. Um, and and I, and it's funny because you get raised eyebrows going, what do you mean you don't know? And I'm like, yes. I have no idea. I've never crossed this before. I've never heard of this before. And but people get a preconceived idea if you're doing a certain job or a certain business because titles and stature come with preconceived meaning based on that person's life experience, work experience, school experience. That's another thing that we have to really kind of, you know, dismantle and talk about because many times people think CEOs have all the answers. 75% of their day, they leave with intuition. Yeah. And sometimes CEOs think they have to have all the answers. Yeah. I've certainly been in that place. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Deb, before we wrap up, I'd love to know what you consider to be the key benefits. You've touched on them, some of them already, but if a leader is not leading in a heart-centered way and thinking of shifting, what would be the key benefits to their business in so doing? Perhaps focusing a little bit more on the on the hard sort of facts and figures that might come from being um, a heart-centered leader? Most leaders that I work with that ask me this question, we have to unlearn to relearn. We have to let go of the extrinsic elements of their day. We have to identify and show them where they're very systematic in their thinking. There's a lot of systematic yes, no in business acumen. What if we could let go of all that, 
do that self audit and see where and why an intrinsic approach has never been able to show up or why they don't think they can implement it into their leadership. A lot of it has to do similar to what I discussed with you. They've had a bad boss model that. And that's the way. And, you know, it makes me think of my Irish Nana where, you know, how many decades and centuries ago they used, you know, a small roasting pot. I remember this story with three generations in my grandma's kitchen. And I said to her, why do you cut off the end of the roast? Because we didn't have a big enough pot back then. So why change things if they're not broke? Now we have a big enough pot. Why do you still cut off the end? Because we've always done it. That shows up so much in business acumen. If it's not broken, let's not fix it. Then why do we have ghosting? Why do we have the great resignation? Why do we have Gen X, Y, Z, millennials all coming in with different value systems? If you're not stopping to listen to people, regardless of their age, that's a self-audit. That's a time to draw the line in the sand and say, okay, I need to do a self-audit here. And leaders, unless someone gives them that safe space to soundboard off, they're not going to say to you, this is where I have difficulty. So it comes back to what we did in my medical business. You have to develop trust and rapport. So that level of leader will open up to you. So you have that heart-centered connection. So you can honor them and they can honor you back. That makes complete sense. And what a rapport that builds when you can truly get to that place. Absolutely. As we uh, sort of draw to a bit of a, bit of a close here, Deb, we've covered you know a range of different topics uh, from from leadership, from your experience, the experience of your clients, and 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 other areas. Is there any what what sort of final thoughts would you like to to leave our audience on today in terms of any aspects of leadership from your experience that you feel we've maybe not uh, not covered so far? I think I want to leave your listeners with this. It doesn't matter where you are in your career, your vocational journey, your academic level, every one of us in the world is a leader right now. We don't need to have a title or a stature because whether it's with our family, our extended family, our friends, we all have some innate level of leadership that we've learned from teachers from primary school or our community or volunteer work. So don't think that you have to have initials after your name or a fancy title or a level of stature or a corner office. There's many people that lead that don't make any noise. So that is what I want to leave your listeners with is how can you look at yourself today to say, am I a leader and where have I led in my life? Because when people really have those questions to go inside and do the inner work and then answer that for themselves, that's powerful. And it's usually a new beginning for a lot of people. Yeah, I would very much agree with you on that. I think leadership is, for lack of a better phrase, like a state of mind versus a, a title. So it, yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. It is. I'm happy to hear you say that as a young person. That, that just makes my whole day. Yeah, and no, I would uh, would definitely agree with you. As we uh, as we move to a closer Deb, um, what's the best way for people to to get in touch with you going forwards? Well, we are in the midst of relaunching our website. Uh, I think it's going to be next week. 
what my team tells me anyways. Uh, Devcrow.com is uh, where you can get a hold of me. And I'm, I'm often hanging out on LinkedIn on, on a daily presence, which is how I met your wonderful mother. And I, I love to share my expertise and, and insights on LinkedIn. So welcome anybody to connect because I, I love to, to, to lead, but I love to learn every day and learn from other people. Do you want to just mention your new book coming out, Seth? I, I would love to. I, uh, I've, I've written my fourth book, but this one I haven't co-authored. This is my, my first solo book, and it's called The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook. And it's been a labor of love. It's been nerve-wracking and fun all at the same time. And it's going to be officially published in September, but I'm inviting my community along with me as we're going to be having a heart-centered fireside chat. And I'm going to involve my community in helping me pick the cover and, and all the fun things that are going to lead up to the, the physical launch of the book in the fall. And it's a culmination of my own life lessons in leadership, some of which we've talked about today. There's stories from when I had my medical rehab practice as a neural trauma case manager. There's stories from my coaching practice and also from the podcast because we all engage in such beautiful conversations every day with people. There was so many things to pick from. So that's the three kind of main themes of my book. And then I dedicated a whole chapter to my Irish Nana because she instilled so much wisdom in me as well. Well, that sounds, uh, it's gonna, lots of wisdom carried across there. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, big thank you for joining the podcast today, Deb. It's been awesome to chat with you. Nice to meet you too. So yeah, just a big thank you for me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. A big thank you from me too, Deb. Thank you very much indeed. Deb, what does heart-centered leadership mean to you and why does it matter to, to business? Heart-centered leadership, my own definition is honoring your connection with people. And when we honor our connection with people, I can't think of a better way of leading and conducting business when people come first. When people come first, the profits always follow. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the RGEN, RJEN. .co.uk website.